Alison Bremner here with Cultivating Success, the podcast geared towards new grads and students so you guys can be successful. Today, I have a great guest on, a good dear friend of mine that I haven't talked to in a while, Dr. Michael Beebe. She is a Blair doc in New Hampshire. Hey, doc. Hi. Great to see you, Alison. Great to see you. And, you know, you sent me all of what you've been doing the last decade. And I uh, we don't think we have time for everything, but <laughs> I'm going to go over some highlights of what you've been doing. You know, 2015, you got your diplomat cranio-cervical junction procedures. You're the vice president counsel on upper cervical and the board of directors of International Chiropractic Association and the Blair Cervical Society. You're really into research. I love that. We'll talk about that in a bit. 2019, you were Blair Chiropractor of the Year and you're co-author of two research papers. Yeah. Yeah. Girl, pretty fun time. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thanks for being on here today. I'm sure that you've probably been around a lot of students, so some people listening might know you, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your story in chiropractic and where you're at right now? Yeah, I'm so excited to be here, and I've uh, listened to some of your past podcasts, and they're super valuable resources for students and new grads. And basically, I, I graduated from LifeWest in 2010, and I associated for about five years in Seattle, Washington, and that associateship was a really important part of who I've become as a chiropractor. And then my husband's also a chiropractor, Dr. Tyler Evans, and he and I uh, were practicing in Seattle, separate practices, both associates. We picked up, moved across the country, and then opened our own practice in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I'm from the East Coast, kind of wanted to be closer to family. And so we opened our practice in 2016, and we focus on Blair upper cervical care and really focus on headaches, neck pain, and head and neck injury. You know, now we're, I think, six years into our practice, and we have three associates and uh, three staff. And it's just a wonderful growth that we've had and enjoyed and worked hard for. And it's been, it's been fun. So, you know, you mentioned that I'm involved in, in a couple different chiropractic organizations. And I think that's helped a lot in my success because I've always lived on the principle that you get out of something, what you put into it. And so being involved in the profession has allowed me to develop myself as a person. And with chiropractic, it's so intimate when you're dealing with patients. You know, it's not like you and a procedure or a instrument or a drug and then the patient. It's you and then the patient. And because of that intimacy, you really have to be very clear on who you are as a person, what your principles are, what your intentions are, and that's going to help you be a better chiropractor. And so being involved in those organizations has helped me develop as a person, helped me give back to the profession that's given me an amazing life. And then also, you know, helped me kind of develop some research, which I think is so needed in our profession and, and definitely an area that I have a lot of fun with. Yeah. Well, I think I, I love what you're saying about knowing yourself. The thing that I work with young docs the most is a lot of them don't know what the heck they want. So how can you find a good position or or open a practice or be congruent if you, you don't even know what you want? And so most people have never worked on that before. And it's an ongoing process. I don't know about you, but I've changed a lot since I graduated chiropractic school. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And like, I mean, we've been friends for over a decade because we went to school together. And so seeing the most successful docs are the people that have worked on themselves the most. And with that, you're going to absolutely change. In chiropractic school, like <laughs> I was a hot mess, like <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and But I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I was open to everything. And 
you know, over the years, I've definitely refined like what I am really drawn towards, where I think I can best serve patients, where I think I can best serve chiropractic and what I want to do with my own personal life. And being clear on that is important. So we have three associates and, you know, there are doctors with decades of experience that have had a lot more associates than I have. You know, I'm still starting in that process of helping our associates be as successful as they want to be. But one thing for a good associate doctor relationship is that clarity. So that's something that I think has helped our practice grow really well is that we're really crystal clear on the service that we provide patients. We're really crystal clear on the, the systems that we have in our practice to support our patients and support our doctors and support our staff. And then we're really clear on our associate expectations. So like when our associates come in, we have the typical, you know, associate employment contract but we have a separate document that is expectations and it's, it's literally titled associate expectations. And it's like, this is what we expect from you. This is what you should expect from us. And then we all sign it together. And that's something that I think is really important because at the end of the day, our associateship in our practice may not be right, or it definitely isn't right for everybody, but it, it's finding that perfect match that is like the associate wants those expectations from us and we want those expectations from them. And so that like two-way win-win situation is what we look for, which I am thinking why our associates are happy and are having a good time. And, you know, I, I think it's working well. <laughs> You can ask them later. Well, it is a relationship. And, you know, I I talk about this a lot. So I'm so glad you brought that up is that what happens in chiropractic, what I find is the doc gets really busy and they go, I need help. Uh, Well, that's terrible. That's going to be a terrible, terrible relationship because you need to think about what, what you want, how the associate fits into that. And then together you're building something. And Mm -hmm. so just being busy, if you are a new grad and the doc's like, I'm just busy, I need help, run away because they don't have any systems. They don't have any clarity. They don't have no expectations. The expectation is you see patients. And so like, that's going to be a tough time. And unfortunately, that's why there are these horror stories. And we've all heard them of different associates. They get into positions and they might be being paid well, but they're working 50, 60 hours a week. And they basically can't even enjoy life because they're so exhausted at the end of the day. I talk to docs all the time about that. So I'm really glad to hear that there's other positions available. I get asked that all the time. Are there, are there good associate positions? The answer is yes. It's just, un, it's, and it's for you, right? Like you said, just like my office, I'm big on this. My office is not for everyone. I send a lot of people out. My office, my associateships are not for everybody. So, but that's okay because when you do that and you're clear, you're going to have a good relationship. Yeah. So. Clarity around. I mean, I think if there was like a title to what I would say about associates, what I would say about practice, what I would say about life is like clear expectations, whether that's chiropractic, whether that's personal, it's like when you have clarity around your expectations and what you are willing to put in and what you want to get out, it is so critical. And doing the, doing the homework, not just picking your associateship. Like, I mean, frankly, my goal going to chiropractic school, I don't know if you like, remember me saying this back when we were in school together, I was like, I moved from New England out to California because I wanted to go to a a life system and life Atlanta and life West. And I was like, well, I don't want to live in Atlanta, Georgia, Bay Area, California. Sounds amazing. So I moved out to the Bay Area. And my my whole thing was I'm going to move there four years, get my degree and come right back to New England. And I ended up taking a five year detour where I went up to Seattle, Washington, simply because I found an associateship that I think I could get the most out of. Now, that associateship was with a guy named Michael Lenars, who's an advanced Blair instructor. I love the Blair technique in terms of upper cervical. 
And, you know, so I'm involved in the Council on Upper Cervical Care, which is under the umbrella of the ICA. It's a council of the ICA. And we are uh, an amalgamation of all the different upper cervical techniques and really providing the Diplomate program, which is a 300-hour, three-year board certification that basically gives you a specialty in the upper neck. And so it samples all the different upper cervical techniques. You're familiar with it and you learn a lot about the anatomy, injury mechanisms, advanced imaging. And so it's a it's an amazing program that I'm involved in. And so while I love Blair and that's what I chose to practice, it wasn't necessarily because Blair is the best upper cervical technique. Because I actually don't think that there is a best upper cervical technique. I think that different patients respond differently and having an understanding of which patient is going to be best suited to your care is critical as a doctor. And so I happened to be attracted to the Blair technique. And I moved up to Seattle, Washington, because Dr. Lenars had an associateship that I thought would be a really great match. And he was a little bit more of an older school doc with respect to associateships. So you were talking about working. Like I worked... 60, 70 hour weeks. I mean, one summer. So I opened a practice. He he provided the capital. I opened a practice downtown Seattle, did all the legwork, trained the staff, you know, built the patient base myself. I was a primary clinic director there. And the summer that we opened was 2011. And I worked for, I think like 90 plus days straight without a day off. And we're talking like 10, 12 hour days. So I definitely was was willing to do that, but I did that because that's kind of my personality. Like I'm just all in, you know, I want to submerge myself a hundred percent and it's allowed me to download an amazing amount of information and be a resource for people. And, you know, I'm relatively young still in practice. I've, I've only been practicing for about 12 years and we have a very thriving practice that is going to support us for the next 30 years. And, you know, now I can choose how much I want to practice and choose what I do outside of practice. You know, I've, I've got two horses that I am competing now, and that takes a tremendous amount of time. I probably spend 30 to 40 hours a week just riding horses and competing um, between travel time and lessons and shows and stuff. So it's like there's room in my life for other things now because the practice is so generative and because I have the knowledge from my associateship that has allowed me to do that. Yeah. And I'm not saying you can't work, you know, a ton of hours if that's your personality. What I'm saying is like what you're saying, knowing yourself. So I did want to get into some of these questions that we were talking about. And the first question is when opening in a practice, you know, what are the priorities for starting a practice? Like, why should you do that? Yeah. So I think that's a great question that more doctors need to take some time to prioritize when they're opening because it's pretty shiny to open and you think about your logo and you think about the layout of your practice and you think about, you know, the technique and how you're going to serve people. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is can your business generate revenue so you can keep the doors open so that you can actually serve these patients? And if the answer to that is no, then none of it matters. Yes, <laughs> like the color of your logo doesn't matter. The color of your paint doesn't matter. Like your website doesn't mean anything. So I think that the doctors that are coming out of school, newer docs, when I see them opening practices, their websites are on point. Their branding is on point. And that is the wrong thing to focus on. That stuff can come later. What you really need to focus on is your marketing and your systems, your patient communication. And yes, you need to be excellent at your technique so you can deliver results. You know, patients need to get results, but first they need to actually get in your door. 
So you need to have the marketing and you need to have the ability to talk about chiropractic in your community that attracts patients. Yeah. I think that when you come out of school, like you have to realize you're a weirdo and you have to relearn to, to uh, come back into society. And so I think that's totally true in the marketing. Like people don't want to work on marketing, but man, if you can't, yeah, if you can't open the doors, you can't make money, you can't help anyone. You know, yeah. That's, and that's, it's, that's, it's a distinction too, between marketing and sales. So marketing being like, Hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. Know us, like us, trust us. And then sales, having the courage to stand in front of people and say, here's your problem. This is what I do. This is how much it costs. Would you like to sign up? And so sales is actually closing the deal. Marketing is like making sure that you're having a good reputation in the community. And it's two distinct different skill sets, but they're pretty crucial, both of them. And then weaving them together so that you don't come off super salesy, like bait and switch and offering a free massage with a chiropractic consult and then trying to convert patients that way. You know, making sure that you're doing it with high integrity and you're going to attract the patients that have absolutely no problem covering their fees and are correct for your practice and are going to get the results from your care. Definitely. Yeah, 100% agree with that. So, you know, obviously we've been talking about, do you think new grads should do an associateship? Yeah, I mean, we just chatted about associateships and find somebody you think is doing it masterfully, be clear about the expectations, and then be willing to sit at the feet of the master. There's a reason why there's something like apprenticeships. I mean, it's different if your job is working with numbers and plugging and playing. But when there's an art factor, whether that art is throwing pottery or training horses or chiropractic, it has a piece of art in it. And learning from somebody's experience is just crucial. So like you have your, your amazing knowledge from school And that is kind of academic. So taking somebody that, you know, finding somebody that's taken that academic knowledge and applied it in the real world and worked kind of clinically in real life situations and seeing what works and what doesn't. And if you can sit at the feet of a master for a couple of years, this is not something where you think, okay, I'll be here six months. I'll learn everything I know. Like I was an associate for five years and I I don't think it was too long. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, there's a reason why other professions, literally every other profession requires you know, apprenticeship associateship because it's super important. And then you, you know, as you you have associates, you're in practice, but you also have time to do research. Let's talk about that. I know you're super passionate about it. And I think a lot of docs want to do research, but they don't even know where to start or what to do. Yes. And so that's where getting involved within chiropractic is crucial because when you're sitting in your office and it's you and your patients, and maybe you have some staff and you're working in your business day to day, there's not a lot of juice for the other stuff. And so that's where collaborative efforts. So both of the research papers that I've contributed have been collaborative efforts. I've been co-authors. And so having other people that are working towards a common goal, finding something that we're passionate about. You know, I I helped with uh, Chuck Woodfield, the lead author on what's called the Precise of Upper Cervical Care. Basically, it's an overview of the upper cervical techniques, comparing and contrasting them. And that was published in 2015 in the Journal of the Canadian Chiropractic Association. And then my husband and I actually worked with some instructors at Sherman, Jamie Browning, and then an instructor at Northwest University, Greg Denuzio, to produce the very first chiropractic paper on what's called CBCT, which is a 3D image of the head and neck, a cone beam CT. 
the dental technology, we've taken and expanded the field of view to look at the cranial cervical junction in the neck. So that paper is the first one that's been published to our knowledge that takes that imaging, associates it with use in clinical practice in an upper cervical office, and associates that with the effective dose to the patient, so the, the radiation to the patient. So one of the things that's important is chiropractors need to be able to use this technology with you know consent of their state boards. So you go to your state board, you say, I want to use this new technology, and they say, well, where's the research? And so yeah. that's why chiropractors really need to get into research. If we want to advance the technique, if we want to push the boundaries of how we can serve our patients, then we need to we need to show that this is effective for patients, it's safe for patients, and that's where research comes in. So get involved in your organizations because those are those are the avenues that are going to support you to actually do it. Absolutely. Well, I personally want to thank you. I don't have really the mindset to do research, but I love to support people who are doing research. It's very important for our profession. So Thank you very much. And I'm glad that you do have the mind that wants to do stuff like that. You know, I always kind of finish this podcast with a question of like your best and worst business decision that you've made. Oh, I love that share. question. So good. Um, best business decision that I have made has definitely been to start on a scratch budget because you never want to be sitting across from a patient and need them to sign up for care in order to cover your bills. And the sooner you can become profitable, the sooner that gives you that latitude to make the right decisions for the right reasons. And so start bare bones. It does not matter what your practice looks like as long as you have good patient communication and deliver results to people and good marketing to get people in the door. You can always upgrade. Yeah, always. I mean, yeah, always upgrade. So I would say start small and make sure you get the numbers work, the bottom line works. That's definitely the best business decision. The worst business decision that I've made, this is, this is a struggle. I think it's a bit of a struggle just because I... And it sounds weird to say, but like we've been super lucky <laughs> in terms of our practice. Um, I think one of the worst business decisions was not growing our practice sooner. So we ended up with three doctors and two staff in a thousand square feet. Wow. <laughs> and so it was pretty squishy. And we actually ended up moving into a new space that's bigger in 2020, but we definitely should have taken the leap a little bit faster. And I think the practice would have, you know, supported that and grown even, even faster than it did. So just knowing when you need to take the steps and that's really actually where our business coach helped a lot. So we didn't have a business coach in the beginning. We hired a business coach. It's actually not a chiropractic coach. He's just a a regular business coach. He works with a company called Action Coaching. And that has been really supportive because it's kind of black and white, you know, looking at profit and loss statements, looking at budgeting, you know, knowing when to, when to grow, when to like hold. And so unfortunately we didn't quite move into our new space soon enough. So it was pretty squishy, especially for our associate who ended up practicing in the imaging room uh, with our CBCT machine and would have to like duck around the arm of the CBCT machine for like a year and a half. (laughs) So you made it work though. We did. We did make it work. I love that, you know, like I personally do not like to hire anyone that is quote unquote, like I'm a chiropractic this, I'm a chiropractic that, because I think that there's a great value in getting like someone's perception that is not a chiropractor. Because what happens is like, for example, my website guy that I have hired that has crushed our SEO, which is search engine optimization. And he's able to look at design. He's able to look at keywords and the way the consumer would, because mm-hmm. when you hire someone that's in, and I'm not saying you can't, but like a lot of times you hire someone that's within chiropractic 
chiropractic and they pander to chiropractors because they're like, I want this weird, like, you know, bone on here with like this weird, like sparks flying out of it. And like the chiropractor thinks that's really cool. And the consumer's like, that is weird. And, and someone who's not in chiropractic will tell you that. I, I imagine your business coach probably was like, you need to look at it like this and you're looking at it in a chiropractic mind. But what you really need help with is someone to coach you not chiropractically, but strictly numbers and business. Yeah. So he hasn't really touched kind of imaging or branding or anything. That's been mostly me, but he helps me stay accountable to the nuts and bolts of running the practice. And so that's like, we have a bookkeeper once a month, she does our books and that goes into our QuickBooks and QuickBooks gives us a profit and loss. We set a budget every year. We have a a monthly meeting with him to go over our goals for the month, our budget. And then like once a quarter, we have a growth club with him and our entire staff. And so it's really great for our staff to be hearing the information that I would be saying, but from another source. Yes. Um, And so that's just like, it's just been super helpful. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that chiropractors like to shy away from money a lot of times, and then they'll get swallowed up whole because they don't pay attention to it. Um, Yeah, that's a mistake because they hide behind the I'm serving people. Mm. But the truth, the reality of it is you can't serve people unless you have a generative lifestyle, a generative business that allows you to do that. And we provide really high quality upper cervical chiropractic care. And the reason why we're able to do that and serve our community is because our business is supportive and allowing us to do that. And the business is is numbers. It doesn't, if it doesn't make sense number wise, then you shouldn't be doing it. And shying away from that, I think it's just, it's also like a mindset that sometimes we're born with where, you know, people can feel like they have to work really, really hard in order to be successful or they're, they're not worth, their care is not worth enough to charge X amount of money. Um, And so all of that is kind of a fallacy. And I would really encourage chiropractors to integrate with other professionals. When we open, the biggest source of referral for our practice right now is existing patient referrals. Mm -hmm. So in-house patient referrals, but our practice is now six years old. We have a larger practice. There's a lot of people that talk about us in the community. When we opened, this is a little bit rare. The biggest source of referrals was other professionals. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those professionals were optometrists, naturopaths, medical doctors, occupational therapists, physical therapists. And that's because we got out and we communicated with other professionals. And if you spend some time in a medical office, like shadowing an MD or shadowing a physical therapist or a naturopath, A, you realize what the actual going rate for medical care is. And then B, you understand that the quality of service that patients are receiving in a chiropractic office is typically above and beyond what they're getting anywhere else. And it's crucial to like have that clarity to also know like, wow, other medical doctors, physical therapists, naturopaths, they don't know the answers either. They're just helping their patients with the best skill set that they have and Sometimes they get it right. A lot of times they do. Sometimes they don't. Same thing happens in our office. And, you know, a lot of times we get it right. Sometimes we need help. And so when you understand that, a little bit of the chiropractic weirdness, thinking that we need to have sparks flying from our hands and, you know, helping wheelchair bound people walk with one adjustment starts to recede, hopefully. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, I think it, it speaks to when you're in school. First of all, they just wackadoodle things are told to students. And, and then, like, you're all, weird, which is great. Like that. I I love working with associates and new grads because I love the energy, but you have to channel that energy. And 
I think that when you are able to collaborate with people is when you are successful. And I think that's whether that's other chiropractors, like what you're saying in these professional organizations that you're in with chiropractic and be able to work together, which chiropractors don't like to do that a lot of times. And then especially in the real world, working together with other professionals, if you are able to do that, you will definitely get referrals and you'll definitely be a place in the community where people want to go. Yeah. Collaborative care, I think gets people better faster. And that's really what it's all about. Yes. Well, I just loved, I can just chat with you probably for the rest of the day. Is there anything else that you think that would be crucial for students getting ready to graduate or new grads to know or something that they can do right now? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I think that the information that you're putting out on this podcast is awesome. So like learn who the doctors that are creating resources like you are, are, you know, where those resources exist and deep dive and and see what attracts you. So make sure that you're like learning outside of school. And then if you're a new grad, you know, being really clear on your expectations, being clear on what you're willing to do and what you expect out of an associate or associateship, or if you are going to open your own practice, like what you're willing to do and, and being clear on your bottom line. So clear expectations would definitely be my kind of guiding a piece of advice for, for most students and new grads. Awesome. I love it. Well, I have loved having you on today and I look forward to seeing you more than once every 10 years. So <laughs> hopefully I'll see you at the next upper cervical council and thank you for everything that you do in our profession. You're welcome, Allison. Thanks for having me on. It was a blast. All right. Well, we'll see you later guys. In this podcast, Cultivating Success, we release a podcast the first and third Monday of the month, and we will see you.